Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald, and you are listening to Ask the Blood Detective. And uh, today's show is a really good one. I say that every time, but it's true because these are the topics that you want to hear. So I noticed that through all of my different shows, which you can view on a PRN or at my website, which is blooddetective.com under the blog section, that I had never done a show on cardiovascular disease. And I think the reason for that is pretty much what I read in the literature, what I see in magazines, what I hear on the radio, is mostly the basic stuff we've all heard before, that cardiovascular disease is a major killer of both men and women. It is poorly treated in medicine with the use of statins, according to some, and that we need to eat a low saturated fat or zero saturated fat diet and no trans fats, and we need to exercise. Now that's the concept in basic medicine, meaning don't consume saturated fats, do not consume fried foods, trans fatty acids, and exercise. Of course, most of us who listen to a show of this caliber know furthermore that we do not want refined and processed sugars because they can raise fats as well, particularly triglycerides, and that the type of exercise we do needs to be managed. You know, what is so strange to me, and I see a lot of people with cardiovascular disease and those who want to prevent cardiovascular disease because they have a family history of very high risk, that they're told by their doctors, watch your diet and exercise. Literally, that is what they're told. Watch your diet and do what with it? What are we watching? How do we adjust the diet so it produces a lower cardiovascular risk? And for that matter, a lower risk of all-cause morbidity mortality. And then exercise, okay, what sort of exercise? How often should I do that exercise for my needs? And I will tell you that that basic sort of mantra, watch your diet and exercise and reduce saturated fats um, and increase your fiber, it's just not enough. People are still dropping dead at an alarming rate of several different uh, uh, perturbations or, or, or ways in which cardiovascular disease can kill us, from hemorrhagic stroke, where the blood is too thin, from aortic aneurysms with myocardial or from myocardial infarctions, through breaks in the arterial wall due to hardness of the arteries known as atherosclerosis. The list does go on and on. We'll talk more about that in a minute. For those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. I practice in Westchester, New York. If you want to reach me for show ideas or to see me as a patient or for a distance consultation, I see people or talk to people that is all over the country and outside of the United States, call me, 914-552-1442. And go to my website for the other radio shows at blooddetective.com. And please send me your show ideas at the following email, it's info at blooddetective.com. 
And I want to invite every one of you listening to my grand opening of my new holistic healthcare office, which is in Katona in Westchester on the border of Somers. You just take the Grand Central uh, train metro up to Katona and three minutes from the train, there we are. We're going to have a wonderful party with vegan and vegetarian foods. There'll be tours of the office and the technologies. I'll be providing short uh, educational seminars. I'll get to meet you, get to hear about you. We'll have a lot of fun. That's on October 26th. You must RSVP. Uh, Got to know how many people are showing up because we need to plan for food and uh, all the other entertainment. So please get a pen and paper and write this down. It's October 20. Let's make sure I'm getting it right myself. October 26th, which is a Friday. Give me a call at 914-552-1442. Leave me your contact information and tell me how many people are coming and you'll go on the list and you will receive a reminder after that about it's all a go. Let's have fun. Okay, back to the topic. We're talking about cardiovascular disease and the title of this show implies that there are things that we are all doing every day that will easily increase our cardiovascular risk and our, and our chances of dying from heart disease, and we don't even know it. And to make matters worse, a lot of you out there, and a lot of my patients, and a lot of people in the United States in general, who are well-meaning, are trying to change their lifestyles. They're eating more fiber, they're having salads, they're even exercising, they might even be taking some nutritional supplements and reducing saturated fat in their diets and sugars and all this stuff. But the problem with all of that is, you need to know if it is actually working. How do you know if it's working to reduce your cardiovascular risk? What do you think? Some of you are thinking, well, my cholesterol level has gone down, or my LDL, the bad cholesterol has gone down, and or my HDL, the happy cholesterol goes up. That's a good way to remember it, H for happy. So here's the thing. 60% of you out there that will eventually suffer from cardiovascular disease, if you're not already, have normal blood. Your blood work is normal. All of the fats, which we call lipids, by the way, cholesterol, LDL, HDL, these are lipids, triglycerides, they're normal on blood. Think of this. Think of your blood as being in a tube. That's your circulatory system. When the nurse or the person who draws your blood, the phlebotomist, puts a needle in that vein and pulls out some blood, maybe your cholesterol and all the other lipids are great. How do you know if those lipids look great, but they're really not because they're stuck on the vein wall or the arterial wall, meaning they're not floating around in the blood in excess? So your doctor tells you your labs are fine. Like I said, 60% of you will have normal blood levels of lipids and will suffer from cardiovascular disease because these fats are stuck on the arterial wall. So maybe you need to check the hardness of the arterial wall or its lack of flexibility. That is the first test or one of the first tests that I always suggest for people. It's a non-invasive test. It involves putting a special sensor on the tip of the finger and an electric current goes through that sensor and it goes through the small capillaries, the arterioles in the finger, 
and it continues to reverberate through your entire cardiovascular system. That current does not miss a millimeter of blood vessel. Now, if you have hardness of your arteries, there's going to be a certain way that that current bounces off a hard arterial wall as opposed to a flexible or softer arterial wall, right? So it's easy to tell if you have hardness of your arteries or not. And it serves as a baseline for me to do this cardio beam test, as it's called, completely non-invasive, so that when you do eat what you think is correctly, when you do take the right supplements, when you do do the appropriate exercise and change your lifestyle, that you are actually proving to yourself that you have softened your arteries. This test will also tell me what the biological age of your circulatory system is. What does that mean? Well, we have a chronological age. How old you are in years? Are you 55? Are you 65? Are you 72? But then there's how old your arterial system, your circulatory system is biologically. Chronologically, we can't change our age in numbers. I get it. But I measured a person's cardio beam last week who had an arterial stiffness and a biological age that was 20-something years older than they were chronologically. Meaning, if you took a 70-year-old person, they would have a certain amount of hardness, and the test would say that. But if you're 50 years old and you have the hardness of a 70-year-old, the test will tell you that as well. What, what could that possibly do for you to have that information? Number one, it lets you know the seriousness of the problem. It also gives you an objective result that you can make sure you are improving with your efforts. So many people waste tons of money and tons of time and effort doing what seems to be the right thing on the surface, but it doesn't change the arterial stiffness. You need to change it. So I thought I would open up with that practical application of a test because there's so many tests in medicine that carry danger and they may not change at all what the doctor does given the result because they're gonna just write you the same prescriptions anyway. But this test changes everything. So I can change the supplements, the doses, the ratios, even the timing of them and the amount of them relative to a cardio beam test. It's not the only test I use. And remember, the cardio beam is a test of arterial stiffness, not arterial blockage. For a test like that, you might do a sonogram of the carotid arteries. I, I do that test, but that is for a different risk factor in cardiovascular disease. Now, what I just said is extremely important. Folks, you must not rely on any one test to judge your cardiovascular health. This is the main error that I see in my 28 years of experience that regular physicians, usually internists, family practitioners, even cardiologists are guilty of this at times. Saying to a person, hey, your blood work looks great, your cholesterol's fine, goodbye. But maybe it is true that the lipids are fine, the blood fats are fine, but maybe your risk comes from hardening of your arteries, which the doctor didn't measure. Or maybe your risk comes from a functional problem that might show up with electrical current issues on an EKG or an ECG. Or maybe 
there's an anatomical problem you don't know about, and an echocardiogram will show that. Maybe your central nervous system that feeds into your heart and the rest of the cardiovascular system is not working correctly, and you need to do a test of your autonomic nervous system. If we have time, we'll talk about that later. And we certainly are going to talk about many tests in the blood where, when, in the urine, when you test these and you normalize these, you have made significant, real, statistically valuable improvements in your cardiovascular risk. This is an area that you must have objective measures, folks, because it's the number one killer of men and women. You have to do that. Look, about 610,000 or so people, the last statistics I checked on the CDC website, die of heart disease in the United States every year. That's one in every four deaths is from cardiovascular disease. Oh my goodness. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for both men and women. More than half of the deaths are due to heart disease in 2009 were men. Unbelievable. And then we have coronary heart disease, which is the most common type of heart disease, kills over 370,000 people a year. Every year, about 735,000 Americans, which includes you, has a heart attack. And of those 735,000, 525,000 are at first heart attack and 210,000 happen in people who have already had a heart attack. In other words, of the 735,000 people who have a heart attack, 525 of them, that was their very first heart attack. Unbelievable. And guess what? The blood work that your doctors are doing, which has a lipid panel, if you're lucky, is not enough. It's not predicting these problems. So what does that mean? We need different and or additional predictors. You know, like I tell everyone that comes to see me, they say to me, like a woman yesterday, she says, I had two heart attacks. My doctors have been telling me for years, my labs are great, my labs are great, keep up what you're doing. She wasn't doing anything. But the point is, she had two heart attacks. So she said to me, how is that? Because my blood work is, is great. And I said, well, your blood work may be normal for a woman your age, but you've had two heart attacks. So you need a different normal. You need a new normal. Something in your chemistry must change or some things to another place other than where they are now, even though you are considered normal. As a 52-year-old man who runs marathons, who lifts weights four times a week, who rides a bike and has no limitations, I do not ever want to get a heart attack. So the thing to do is to get your baselines down, as many biomarkers as possible, cholesterol, blood pressure, C-reactive protein, and yes, you want to do the lipid panels, but we're going to talk more detail about what those should be, uh, ferritin, fibrinogen. The, the point is, you do a number of biomarkers, and when you really get all of those where they should be, then you've made a serious and real improvement in your cardiovascular risk. Again, heart disease is the leading cause of death for people of most 
ethnicities in the United States, including African-Americans, Hispanics, and whites. For American Indians and Alaskan Natives and Asians or Pacific Islanders, heart disease is, the, is second only to cancer. Now, what is just so amazing to me is that people just don't know this. And the key, I think, to solving any problem with your health, actually, the key, I think, to solving any problem in your life is first, you must distinguish what the problem is. So people have a vague notion that heart disease is a killer. But if they really got it, that it was the number one cause of death for men and women, on a, on a visceral level, they would be compelled to change their lifestyles and have objective biomarkers. There's a lot of reasons why the traditional doctors, like an internist or a family practitioner, like think of your internist, your primary health care provider. I have no doubt that your primary health care provider cares about you. I have no doubt that they are not very, very smart. I have no doubt that they think they're helping you the best that they can, except they're not, and it's almost not their fault. Because most primary health care providers will not measure all of the markers I just mentioned. And they don't for a number of reasons. Some of them, they just aren't familiar enough with them. Like those blood tests I mentioned, or a cardio beam test, or an autonomic nervous system test. And other reasons are, they work for hospitals or medical centers that prohibit them from doing anything but very, very basic testing. Remember, that all this testing costs your insurance company money. And this is, I don't have to tell you that this is the reason why they don't do these tests. It's not science. It's not because they don't have evidence that they're that important because the evidence is there and it's really strong. It's that they want to save money. The same reason why I have to tell people that I'm not part of insurance plans because they'll accept me. Sure they will. Of course they will. My credentials are tremendous, but they don't want me to do anything holistic. Then they'll be happy to accept me because doing those other things would cost them money. We won't make this show about insurance, but that is a, the sad truth. I have patients that call me once in a while and they'll say, Dr. Wald, you know, I want to see you, but you know, uh, I, I need to go into my insurance first and, and that's what I'm going to do. And I let them know that, of course, that's fine. They should do what they feel they need to do. I will be there for them if it doesn't work out. But most insurance companies don't even give you a visit or two with a dietitian. And remember, we're talking about dietitians who, again, mean well. But they will give you cardiovascular information for protection and avoidance of cardiovascular disease based on the standard American diet pyramid model. Now, standard American diet, SAD, is sad, very sad, because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what diet does work? Let's talk about that in just a moment. So first of all, let's talk for a couple of moments about heart attack and your ability to recognize if you're having a heart attack so you can take early action. So Knowing the warning signs and symptoms of a heart attack so that you can act fast if, you're, uh, if you or, or someone you know might be having a heart attack is key. 
So the chances of survival are greater when emergency treatment begins quickly. So if you're gonna have a heart attack, you better go to medicine. You don't wanna take like a coenzyme Q10 pill if you're having a heart attack. It's not gonna help. In a 2005 survey, most of the respondents, about 92% if I recall, recognized chest pain as a symptom of a heart attack. Only 27% though, were aware of all of the major symptoms and knew to call 911 when someone was having a heart attack. About 47% of sudden cardiac deaths occur outside of the hospital. This suggests that many people with heart attack are simply not recognizing and acting on the early warning signs. Now, heart attacks have several major warning signs and symptoms. You need to know them. Chest pain or discomfort. And sometimes you'll have chest pain and you'll go to the ER and they'll tell you it was anxiety and maybe it was anxiety as if, no, 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 don't worry, it's not a heart attack, it's anxiety. Okay, well, anxiety is a predisposing factor for heart attack. So it's not like you should let that go. It's an early warning sign of your greater predisposition to cardiovascular disease if you have anxiety. Just like a diabetic. A diabetic is considered equivalent to heart disease. So here are the major warning signs and symptoms of heart attack. I mentioned chest pain or discomfort. Upper body pain or discomfort in the arms, in the back, in the neck, in the jaw, or the upper stomach. Shortness of breath. Nausea, lightheadedness, or cold sweats. Now, a lot of these symptoms can be from hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. They can be from hyperthyroidism, or what they call hyperthyroid storm. They can be from autonomic nervous system problems. I'm just trying to tell you that a lot of other problems that are far less dramatic uh, than heart attacks can cause all the symptoms of heart disease, but you cannot take that risk. You cannot take that risk. So let's talk about high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking, because these are key factors for heart disease. And a lot of people with high cholesterol, folks, and high blood pressure often also develop high blood sugar. So high blood pressure, high blood fats, high blood sugar, that is metabolic syndrome, Many doctors miss this on their patients. I see it all the time. And then I'll say to someone, I'll say, so you have high cholesterol. How's your pressure? They'll say borderline. And I'll say, well, how's your blood sugar? They'll say, it's okay. Or they don't know. My point is that a lot of people develop high blood pressure, high blood sugar, and high blood fats, which is metabolic syndrome. But you don't have to have all three at the same time. If you have two of them, and borderline blood pressure or borderline anything, consider that positive. It's like saying someone's borderline pregnant. It, it makes no sense. Or that someone has a borderline infection. So doctors are taking these symptoms and lab findings and exam findings like high blood pressure and high blood cholesterol and high blood sugar not as seriously as they should. Now about half of Americans, about 47%, just under half, have at least one of these three risk factors. So half of the people have high blood pressure, high blood cholesterol, and they are, and they smoke. And if they would stop smoking, and if they would manage through their lifestyle, high blood pressure and cholesterol, we would reduce the cardiovascular risk of, of dying of heart attack by nearly half. But remember, high blood pressure is a symptom, everyone. High blood pressure doesn't cause itself. 
why would the blood pressure be high? Well, maybe it's high because the arteries are stiff. So when the blood is moving through it, it is creating pressure against the blood vessel because it's hard raising the blood pressure. Or maybe someone has a problem with their blood sugar, which has damaged the kidneys, and that can raise blood pressure. Or a person might have thickness in the blood, what's called increased viscosity, causing a cardiovascular strain. It's just hard for the body to push that thick blood around. Blood pressure goes up. So what do doctors do? They give you a diuretic, which pulls fluid off you, along with electrolytes, which, yes, commonly will lower the blood pressure, but it doesn't fix the problem. And we know, listen up, we know that if you take a group of people and you lower their blood pressure through healthy lifestyle, diet, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction, etc., and you have another group where you lower it with blood pressure medication, there are far fewer cardiovascular events. Lowering it the very same with lifestyle compared to lowering it the very same amount with blood pressure medications. So what does that mean? Well, in part, that means that it's not all about normalizing the blood pressure or normalizing the cholesterol levels or even normalizing the blood sugar levels. It's about fixing the abnormal metabolism in the background. And you can only do that, like any other problem in life, folks, by identifying those factors. So I will do specialized tests that some regular doctors, most regular doctors, I dare say, will not do, or they cannot do them. Look, I have a policy. My policy is this. If I'm sitting with someone and I'm recommending tests that will cost them money out of their pocket, it's only because it's nearly impossible or extremely difficult for them to get these tests through insurance coverage. And on the other hand, my policy extends to that. I will write a letter to their doctor describing the tests I feel they should have that if I believe they will be covered through their primary, then I want that done and I will not do them. So I make sure that my patient's health and financial health and well-being is handled in that way. For example, it is very useful to know your urine calcium. What could that possibly have to do with anything? Well, if you've been listening to any of my other blood detective shows, you already know the answer. I'm gonna tell you in a second. Little commercial break. This is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. We're talking about all of the reasons and the ways in which you can easily kill yourself uh, that could be essentially avoided so that you can live longer in the non-disability stage, high quality stage of your life. And you might actually even live longer in years, which if you're living well, that would be a pretty good thing. You can email me your show ideas at info at blooddetective.com. And if you'd like to come to my grand opening on October 26th, which is a Friday from 3.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., you need to email me at info at blooddetective.com or you must leave me a message, make it short, let me know how many guests are coming by calling me at 914-552-1442. be fantastic to meet you. So calcium and urine. If you are spilling calcium in your urine, you're likely losing calcium from your bones. And if you're losing calcium from your bones, that will, of course, predispose you to osteopenia, and osteoporosis, different degrees of bone loss. 
Now that calcium is not being managed well. It's being kicked out of your bone, probably from inflammation. And your body says, where do I stick this calcium? Well, it loves to stick it on the arterial wall, making it harder because calcium is hard. But then your liver says, hey, it's all that calcium's in there. I need to soften that area up. So I'm going to make LDL cholesterol and, and regular cholesterol. I'm going to stick it on the arterial wall to soften it up, except that, that is now a plaque. And that can raise blood pressure. That can cause sudden heart attacks. It's not good. It's not good. And, reduce, and it reduces blood flow. And if you don't have normal blood flow to your brain, to your thyroid, to your guts, you can get gut problems like leaky gut or malabsorption. See that? How a gut problem can be caused by calcium loss, causing calcium deposition on an arterial wall. And if the arterial wall goes to your gut, that's a problem. If that arterial wall, that blood vessel goes to your thyroid, you might have a thyroid problem from lack of circulation. Or you may have dementia or minimal brain dysfunction or some sort of ner nervous system disorder because of lack of delivery of blood because of placking and hardness of arteries. So the blood cannot perfuse the tissues and saute the tissues in oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood. See, that's a holistic perspective that I just explained, which is actually medically completely accurate. But you're talking about going to four different doctors based on the, the, the few things I just said from that one problem of calcium misuse. So if you're going to seriously take steps to manage your cardiovascular disease, why wouldn't you want a simple test like a urine calcium to make sure that the calcium isn't coming out any longer with your efforts? Of course you would want that. So there are, there are several other medical conditions and lifestyle choices that can also put you at higher risk of heart disease. And they include the following, diabetes, and that includes prediabetes. You know, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be laughable. But I see people sometimes and they say, oh yeah, my doctor said my blood sugar needs a little work. It's, it's borderline. I'm borderline diabetic. So what happens is all the damage in the body to the kidneys, to the blood vessels and diabetes, to the eyes, to the musculoskeletal system, to the immune system, to the hormonal system, they happen over time, during the pre-diabetic time, not during the congratulations, you're diagnosed as a diabetic. That's not when the problem began. It, it began many, many, many years before, and doctors are not properly recognizing and treating this. So you have diabetes, they throw metformin at you. And that's a blood sugar medication when we might be able to get the same effects from alpha lipoic acid, for example, vanadium, chromium, and a few other things. But we're talking about lifestyle choices and medical conditions that increase your risk of heart attack. Diabetes, overweight and obesity, obviously a poor diet, inadequate physical activity, and excessive alcohol use. Those are just a few. But now I want to get a little more detailed because these other details really could make the difference in your longevity and they're not talked about very often. Number one has to do with a process in the body called methylation. Now don't, get, don't worry, it's a big word. Some of you have heard of the word. All it means, all you need to think about when you hear methylation is that is good and that is a healing process. And if your body does not methylate normally, 
then it cannot repair cells that are damaged from blood sugar, cells that are damaged from hypertension, cells uh, that are damaged from inflammation, blood sugar. You can't heal anything without proper methylation. And there are specific sorts of nutrients that you would want to take to make sure that your body is managing methylation. Now, a good segment of the population does not methylate normally. There are genetic tests which we can prove if you're a methylator or not, or you're having problems, but I don't suggest you do those tests necessarily because if you take the nutritional supplements that are already methylated so that your body that doesn't or possibly does not manage methylation uh, would need to activate, you take the activated nutrients, which you need anyway for lots of other things, and they lower your cardiovascular risk. So I have something called sublingual B12 folic acid, which has methylated forms of B12 and folic acid. So if your body has difficulty in methylating, you've got these nutrients. That'll help repair walls. It'll lower uh, inflammation load. It'll help repair DNA damage caused by all sorts of lifestyle factors that increase your risk of dying of cardiovascular disease. And you know, it is also sadly true that medical treatments are much better today than, than they have been in the past for lots of health problems. Let me give you one example. Stroke. The mortality risk of stroke was just five or six years ago much, much higher than it is today. So what does that mean? More people are living or surviving one or more strokes. Sounds good, right? It's not good in lots of cases because these people have suffered major disability. We're talking nursing home disability level where they can't get out of bed, they can't speak, or they have difficulty speaking. All kinds of health problems and primary and secondary uh, symptoms, signs, and health problems from one or more strokes. So this concept of just surviving longer statistically looks good, except it's not so good. So nutrition gives the opportunity to survive better and prevent more. So let's talk about the diet, because how can any conversation on cardiovascular disease be complete without talking about the diet? So I wanna to talk to you about the Mediterranean diet, because if I were to pick the basis of the best cardiovascularly protective diet, it would be what I would call a modified Mediterranean diet, which means the Mediterranean diet is fundamentally good. In other words, it's got a very small amount of animal proteins relative to plant proteins. The Mediterranean diet is high in fiber, higher in fruits and vegetables. And we would modify it in a very important way. We would add much higher amounts of cold-pressed virgin olive oil there is some, obviously, in the Mediterranean diet, but we need more. And we also need more vegetables. And we also need superfood powders of fruits and vegetables. These are very important distinctions that I hope you're hearing. The Mediterranean diet was compared in the study to the Mediterranean diet with added phytonutrients, plant nutrients found mostly in vegetables, but also in fruits and had a higher amount of omega-9 
or olive oil. And there were fewer cardiovascular events in the modified Mediterranean diet. Now, I would start with these basics with anyone with cardiovascular disease, unless there was a reason not to. Okay, let's talk about one of those reasons. Maybe the person does not want to eat meat. So that's fine. So the Mediterranean diet has meat, so we'd eliminate meat. And, but we do need to get proper protein. And we know we can get proper proteins by combining vegetables, such as legumes, um, with, with various grains, so that you can get all of your essential amino acids that you cannot make in your body. Now, I'm gonna tell you something that you probably have never heard, but it's scientifically proven and has been uh, miscommunicated for decades. And that is this. A person does not need to eat animal products assuming that they provide better, more bioavailable proteins than plant products. Now, some of you could care less about that because you just naturally feel you're going to gravitate towards plant proteins. And that's absolutely fine as long as you're combining your foods appropriately, not necessarily during the same meal, but certainly within the same week because the liver can store amino acids from the proteins you're eating, but it must have a balance of essential amino acids in order to do that in the diet. But here's what's really interesting. That is the thing you may not know. I can tell you this, very few uh, nutritionally oriented people know this fact either, is that the original studies that concluded that animal proteins were superior to plant proteins, they were on rodents. And they, they studied these rodents and genetically and based on the, uh, the animal type, Rodents do not properly process, compared to humans, the amino acids methionine and histidine. So methionine and histidine are what they call sulfur-containing amino acids. So when they gave them meat products, they did well because the meat products had these amino acids. Now, but humans do manage histidine and dining properly. So the conclusion of the rodent studies that somehow meat protein was better than plant proteins was because these rodents did not deal well with methionine and histidine, but human beings do. So when they did additional studies that showed that human beings did fine on either, equally fine by the way, just about exactly the same for meat, for meat and animal, uh, I'm sorry, meat and plant proteins, it was the same. So that's been an error for a long period of time. There are people that, that think that they need to eat meat. You don't have to eat meat. If you choose to eat meat, fine, but have it grass-fed and don't eat it too often. And there may be reasons you shouldn't have it at all. Maybe you have an inflammatory condition or your cardiovascular condition is highly inflammatory, let's say based on your brand of it, how's, how it's affecting your body. There would be reasons to eliminate meat entirely. So my point is this, yes, the Mediterranean diet is a baseline which is definitely good for cardiovascular disease and cancer. And if you modify it further with at least adding more olive oil and more phytonutrients, particularly phytonutrients, those are terms meaning plant, 
in vegetables, but also fruits, you will get a better result. Then, if you do a couple of tests, do some chemistries that are special, you can modify your intake even more and, and reduce your risk further from cardiovascular predisposi predisposition. I'm just gonna throw in another curveball to you that eggs, eggs that are poached and eggs that are uh, boiled, uh, they, are, they do not add to cardiovascular risk and they never did. There is no science and there never has been. So people have been separating the whites from the yolks when there's lots of amazing nutrition in the yolk. Yeah, there's some saturated, uh, there's some cholesterol in there, but it has been proven not to affect cardiovascular risk, even if you had 12 eggs a day. So chew on that for a little while. <laughs> so let's talk about, is cholesterol even bad? Well, the answer is yeah, cholesterol can be bad, but the total cholesterol that's measured on your blood test is the total, right? The total of what? The total of different kinds of LDLs, different kinds of HDLs. And it's important sometimes, particularly if you've already had a cardiovascular event and if your insurance covers it, to get this test called a VAP test, V-A-P, which will measure not just your total LDL, which we ideally, optimally want it to be 100 or lower, or it's acceptable at 130, but that's misleading. What if it's acceptable at 130? What if your LDL is acceptable at 130, but all of your LDL are tiny particles which are highly inflammatory, causing atherosclerosis? That's bad. But if you have a 130, that's all the large LDLs, you are at far lower risk of cardiovascular events. If your blood work says that your total HDL, that's the happy stuff, folks, listen to this, you may not know it, if your HDL is high, that's supposed to be a good thing, right? Yeah, but the total HDL is also the total of two forms, HDL-2, HDL-3. HDL-2, fantastic. If all of your HDLs, if it was elevated to 50, 60, 70, and it's all HDL-2, you're golden for that one marker. But if your HDL is elevated, which is supposed to be a good thing, but it's HDL-3, well, HDL-3 is thought to be detrimental in terms of cardiovascular risk. It is important that these sorts of distinctions are made for people. Now, cholesterol itself, overall, is harmful if it's in excess, if it's bad cholesterol. But cholesterol, the structure of cholesterol, also makes it an antioxidant. Yeah, cholesterol is an antioxidant. Its chemical structure looks like a bunch of stop signs put together, and these stop signs are kind of like spider webs. They catch stuff like little flies, <laughs> but they're called free radicals in the body, which cause damage. So if your cholesterol is too low, you're gonna to have too much free radical activity, too much oxidation, inflammation, and degeneration, and that's bad. So if you're taking Lipitor to lower your cholesterol, you might be increasing the oxidant potential in your body, increasing your risk of cardiovascular disease in some other ways. I'm not saying that statin drugs are never useful. If you're a person who is not willing to change your lifestyle, not willing to exercise, take nutritional supplements, do a couple of tests, follow it up, then maybe you should take these. 
So I'm not telling you to take them. I'm not telling you not to take them. But statin medications reduce the cholesterol, but they also reduce the body's ability to deal with several fat-soluble nutrients, which just so happen <laughs> to lower your risk of heart disease. For example, what's the first one? What's the first nutrient that comes to mind that we know is lowered by statin use? Ubiquinol, that's CoQ10. Ubiquinol means it's ubiquitous, it's in every cell. So if you lower CoQ10 in every cell, your risk of all cause of disease can be increased because the body needs CoQ10 production for energy to do work in the body, like maintain cells in a healthy way, to combat disease, to manage your unique aging process. But these statin drugs also impair your use of fat-soluble nutrients, including vitamin D. Oh my goodness, vitamin D tends to be lowered in those with statin drug prescriptions. And most doctors never even mention any of this to their patients. Why? Because they don't know. They might know something about CoQ10 and also beta carotene, which is lowered from statin drugs, because they read it or some seminar, but it never made an impression on them. I have yet to question one of my patients who has seen their internist or the cardiologist or the family practitioner who put them on statins, anything about these nutrients. And when the patient asks, they're ridiculed, they're made to feel stupid and somehow wrong, as if they have two heads and there must be something wrong in their heads so they might wanna to go to a therapist. I am not kidding you when I tell you that is basically the order of how it works. And then when I show the patient this evidence, they say, well, how can the evidence be here and my doctor ignore it? I just think that in my life, perhaps there are things that have come up with, with me that I've ignored just because I choose to, or I just missed it somehow. But if you're a healthcare provider, you cannot do that. You must maintain an open mind. You must encourage people to do their own research I tell my patients, do research. Send me what you're coming up with. If I don't know it, I'll learn it. And if I don't know it or can't learn it, I will find someone who, who will who'll know it and will tell me what to do with it. The point is, you need to be proactive. That's that blood detective proactiveness. Be your own blood detective. Maintain a holistic mindedness. When doctors without nutrition training tell you that nutrition doesn't work, guys, gals, that shouldn't surprise you. They're not trained. Remember, ignorance is bliss. That's all it's about. It's just incredible. Anyway, cholesterol is an antioxidant. If it's too low, if it's lowered with Lipitor, it can even increase suicide risk. It is associated in some studies with increased risk of dementia, Alzheimer's dementia, because the brain is mostly cholesterol. Wow. I do a lot of work with people with memory loss, and I'm currently providing several seminars across the United States to healthcare providers. One's called neuroplasticity, which is how you can change the, the workings of the brain and, the, and uh, enhance healing of the brain structures through nutrition. Another one's on autoimmune disease and how to use nutrition for autoimmune disease. And another one is called nutritional endocrinology, how to affect the hormonal system in the body through lifestyle. All of these or professional level seminars that require me to provide the evidence from the medical and nutrition literature 
that I present from 8.30 in the morning to about 4.30 in the evening or later. Am I imagining that all these studies are in my PowerPoint presentations? I can assure you I am not. Okay, let's talk about some other tests. C-reactive protein. You should ask your primary doctor to do a CRP cardio. The higher it is, the increased risk of, of uh, cardiovascular disease. You may want a homocysteine. That's also covered by insurance. Ask your primary doctors to do it because you're concerned about cardiovascular disease. That'll tell you more about whether or not you're methylating. You want to measure the calcium in the urine. You want your vitamin C measured in your urine. You want a chemical called MDA measured in your urine because the higher those three things, vitamin C, calcium, and MDA, the higher your risk of many diseases, including cardiovascular disease. When you take a serious look at managing cardiovascular disease, all you need is a strategy. You need to know a couple things. You need to know that there are various factors that contribute to cardiovascular disease, and they must be taken into consideration, not just sort of flippantly acknowledged, your genetics, your family history, not just of cardiovascular disease. Other diseases can increase risk of cardiovascular disease that are not cardiovascular disease. For example, being gluten intolerant. Also, other factors that contribute to cardiovascular disease other than genetics are lifestyle factors, exercise levels, frequency, sleep, hydration, exposure to toxins. And when you look at these plus other laboratory tests or other functional tests, and then you keep in mind what I said earlier, that the, the basic Mediterranean diet is a start, then you eliminate any foods that you, you don't want to have. Maybe you don't want grains. But if you add to that Mediterranean diet, as I said, this is just a recap, olive oil, more vegetables, and I didn't say before, a handful of nuts, which are loaded with fiber and phytonutrients, you've got a really good basis for a primary preventative diets, diet. And then by adding more phytonutrients in the form of supplements that are pharmaceutical grade and quality controlled, not just anything you buy, those phytonutrients can affect your entire lifespan and health span because phytonutrients tend to affect what's called the telomeres in the body. So stay with me. Telomeres are like a tail, T for tail, T for telomere. And you have chromosomes in your body. Think of a chromosome like a pen. You're holding up a pen. And, and, and it's chromosomes. It's made of chromosomes. And then you have just like a tail coming off it. That's the telomere. So the telomere is like a tail coming off the chromosomes. And when you age, that tail actually shortens. But there are certain nutrients, zinc, resveratrol, turmeric, vitamin C, many phytonutrients that not only can slow the rate of the telomere shortening, but can even reverse it to some extent. So now telomere technology is actually telling us that we can, to some extent, literally reverse our biological aging. The other thing about the phytonutrients is there, we're talking about the uh, catechins and the polyphenols, and these particular molecules have a profound positive effect on healing in the body. So if you're the type who really doesn't know what to do with all this, like I had a patient that said to me, yeah, 
I, I didn't know what to do to reduce my cardiovascular disease. I already had two or three heart attacks it was. I would, I would ask Siri, I'd say, Siri, um, what should I eat? <laughs> and you know, Siri provided some decent results, except none of it is personalized to you. And if you're off even a little bit based on your own needs, you're, there's no little bit being off. If you're off, you're off. And that's how that goes. So yeah, I'm having so much fun. Uh, in the remaining time that we have left, I want to just go over several uh, specific nutritional substances that if you add it to the modified Mediterranean diet, should reduce your cardiovascular risk potentially much, much more. Number one is our carefully designed and balanced probiotics. So you can check out my website at, and use this website, intmedny.com. That's I-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, M-E-D, that like medical, NY like New York.com, you will see superbugs. That's what I use to reduce cholesterol by helping it clear out from the colon. And then you want to have a multivitamin, all activated forms of nutrients because the body just needs that. It's as basic as sleep and, and, and breathing and drinking water. And the other thing you should have is an omega-3 fatty acid, preferably one that's combined with vitamin D for proper absorption. And you want to make sure that that omega-3 that has both EPA and DHA in it, the EPA should be just about 1,000 milligrams and the DHA around 650 or so to start. And I would usually give a person two soft gels. Other people have better results when I use a DHA liquid, which you'll see on my website at blooddetective.com or at intmed. NY.com, and then I base the dose. You can start with the doses on the container, and then based on your body composition, how much of you was muscle, water, fat, I idealize the doses much better for individuals. So everything is all about the right dose for the right patient at the right time, taken the right way. Okay, what else would be in the top couple of picks for anti-cardiovascular disease supplementation? Ubiquinol. So I use a ubiquinol, again, that's medical grade. We need that for energy balance and all sorts of things in the body require coenzyme Q10 for normal functioning. And CoQ10 is in the top five or so picks of mine for supplements with very good evidence for lowering cardiovascular risk. Now, as far as the phytonutrients I talked about, which the studies show, if you add them in, you enhance the cardiovascularly protective effects of the Mediterranean diet, look at my site and Look at the detox one, two, three, and four powders, the red, orange, purple, green, loaded with tons of phytonutrients. If you're of normal weight, now I recommend one scoop of each, all mixed together at the very same time, uh, diluted in water to taste. I also use enzymes. I have my detox enzyme absorb product because enzymes are anti-inflammatory. Enzymes help you absorb foods better. So that is, of course, very good for cardiovascular disease. And then I use a problem, uh, not a problem, a product that I put quite a lot into it for cardiovascular prevention. It has chromium in the form of chromium polynicotinate. That is the one that shows reduction of cardiovascular events at about 200 micrograms of the chromium polynicotinate. And then I use red yeast rice. You need about 3,000 milligrams for that to work, everyone. 
And then what also is very important is polycosinols, which are made from uh, sugarcane. And I absolutely love the polycosinols because they're one of those nutrients that work on almost everyone. You know, not all nutrients work the way you want them to sometimes, but this one consistently works for helping to lower cholesterol by working on the liver, not just by, by blocking cholesterol production, but by enhancing the health of the liver, which makes all of the cholesterol in the body pretty much. So you want to start with about 20 milligrams of that, and then you increase from that. And then there's the phytosterols. So I use a phytosterol complex, about 500 milligrams that uh, blocks cholesterol from lots of uh, causing uh, some damaging effects in the body. And then those, uh, those phytosterols, they include things like uh, beta-cystosterol and campesterol and stigmasterol, a bunch of complicated names, but they work wonderfully as part of a total picture. You don't just want to take any one of these things, though. I have many patients that see me. They do the right thing. They're taking something correctly, but they don't know their doses. Maybe they're malabsorbing. I, gotta, I have to check their malabsorption rates. Got to figure this stuff out. And, of course, Google lipids at about 200 milligrams a day and artichoke extract from the leaf at about 100 milligrams a day. So those are some of the nutritional picks. They're not all of the supplements. I like to base the supplement needs of a person on a detailed conversation, detailed questionnaires and conversation based on that to get down to the details, and possibly maybe a cardio beam or arterial stiffness test. I might perform an EKG, which can tell me a lot about nutrition, not just the standard way of reading it. And of course, various laboratory tests, whatever seems appropriate for the person that they can handle. I always do the best that I can. So this was, I hope, a practical conversation about preventing and managing cardiovascular disease. I hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate that you wanted to hear it. So again, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Email me. Let me know if you're coming to my grand opening on October 26th. It's in Westchester. Just go to my website. You'll see the uh, advertisements for it. If you don't see it, no problem. Uh, just leave me a phone message at 914-552-1442 and go to my website at intmedny.com. Look at the supplement section. Send me your questions. Once again, it's been fantastic. I'll see you soon. Be the one